So today we continue our series we've titled, The Other Side of Our Savior. Last week we looked at family. We saw how Jesus called those that were living lives of obedience to God, his brothers, sisters, and mothers. He called them his family. We looked at how we are saved by faith. We're part of the family of God through faith, but that we feel like we are part of the family when we are involved together, doing things together, on mission together, striving to live lives of obedience together. This week, we find ourselves in Mark chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 45 to 52. Now, earlier in this chapter, we read of the feeding of the 5,000. How Jesus took a few loaves of bread and fish and fed a hungry crowd of of 5,000 people. And people were amazed. They were blown away. If we were to read this story in the book of John, we'd see how the people were so impressed by Jesus that they wanted to forcefully take him and make him king. It was the breeding ground of rebellion against the Romans. But that's that's not what Jesus wanted. The people then didn't realize it, but, but we know now but, but that was not what Jesus wanted. This wasn't a part of the plan, and, and so he and the disciples prepare to leave to get out of Dodge before things get more tense than they already were. And that's where we pick up in the text this morning. Again, we're in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to read along. If, if you prefer like a, a Bible, a tangible book, but don't have one with you today, there should be one in the back of the pew in front of you. For those without, the words will also be on the screens beside me. I know we've done a bit of standing today, but I, I think we're, we're going to start getting back to something that we used to do, but we haven't done as much recently. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able with me as we read the word of the Lord this morning. Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 51. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened. A sense the reading, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So how many of us are tired? How many of us are weary? There's a difference between being weary and tired, right? Like tired might mean that you just stayed up too late and and morning came too early and the coffee just hasn't quite kicked in yet. But weary? Weary carries more of a worn out connotation. When we're weary, we've been going for a while, we've been pushing We've been working hard, putting on the brave face and and struggling through, but it's all adding up and, and the journey is taking its toll and we're feeling spent, we're feeling worn out, feeling weary, feeling used up and 
and burned out. I was looking through some statistics this week. Now, I did get them from the internet, but I tried to find reputable sources, and when I cross-referenced their numbers I found with other reputable sources, they, they held up. So I'm going to give you some numbers this morning, and this is what I found. 89% of workers have experienced burnout within the past year. So in the past year, almost 9 in 10 people have felt used up and burned out in their jobs. 77% of employees have experienced feelings of burnout at their current job. It doesn't have to have been in the past year, but, but something about where they currently work has used them up and burned them out. So we're experiencing burnout at a colossal rate. Like these numbers are high. This, this isn't good. I would imagine some of it is still related to the pandemic. Some of it is related to the capitalistic society that we live in. Got to just keep pushing, doing the things. Some of it's related to crazy expectations. Some of it's related to management changes and the stresses that go along with it. Some of it's related to relocating and, and learning a, a new office or having to get a new job. I'm not saying that the reasons for burnout are all bad. Some of them are, some aren't. I'm just saying that there is a reality that many of us, most of us, are exhausted and drained by our jobs. And then we come to church, and pastor stands in the pulpit and exegetes scripture, telling us that we are called into God's mission. Just what our weary and tired souls want to hear, right? Burnout isn't limited to the secular. It is also present in the sacred. Ministry burnout is a thing. I found some numbers on pastoral burnout. I tried to find numbers on burnout pertaining to youth leaders and worship leaders and, and Sunday school teachers and other volunteers, but, but those numbers were a lot harder to find and typically behind a paywall. So I'll give you some numbers on pastoral burnout because I'm cheap. But just, just know that while the numbers may not line up perfectly, okay, they're not going to line up perfectly, but are true of many different areas of ministry within a church. In my review of trusted sites, pastoral counseling sites, and the Barna Group, I found that 91% of pastors have experienced some form of burnout in their ministries, and 18% say that they are fried to a crisp right now. Those numbers are discouraging, but they line up pretty closely to what we see in the workforce, right? 89%, 91%. A lot of similarity there, almost 20%. Feeling fried to a crisp is a bit unnerving. According to Barna, 38% of pastors have thought of leaving full-time ministry in the past year. There are many reasons for leaving ministry. They're not all tied to burnout, but in the conversations I have had with my peers, the vast majority of those considering leaving ministry began to entertain those ideas because they were weary, worn out. They love God, they, they love their people, but they're just tired. Trying to navigate a difficult political landscape, serving during morally challenging times, keeping up with technology, the balance of work and family, stress. There are many reasons for pastoral burnout. And often they belong in the same column, but, but they do differ between pastors and churches. But eventually it, it just gets to be too much. And so the pastors leave the ministry to join a workforce where only 89% of workers have experienced burnout in the past year. It seems that we can't avoid weariness. We can't run from it. So how do we address it? 
How do we deal with it? How did Jesus deal with it in our text this morning? He had just been on an intense emotional roller coaster. If we look this story up in the book of Matthew, we'll see that Jesus' good friend, his, his cousin, the man who prepared the way for him, John the baptizer, was just beheaded by King Herod. Jesus is understandably sorrowful at the news, so he leaves to go by boat to a, a solitary place. But the crowds, they find out about it. And so they go ahead of him, seeking him out. When Jesus' boat touches shore, there's a large crowd waiting for him, and Jesus, being Jesus, has compassion on them. And he heals their sick, and he teaches them all day. And as evening approaches, it becomes clear that there isn't anywhere close. He was going to a solitary place, right? Like he's going away from everybody. There's nowhere close to feed this many people. The disciples tell Jesus to send the crowds away that they might find food. Jesus counters by saying, you give them something to eat. The disciples didn't have much. They could only uh, scrounge up five loaves of bread and, and two fish. And so here Jesus takes the loaves and the fish and he performs the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Though we know it was 5,000 men, this didn't count the women and children there, so we don't have an exact head count, but we're talking a lot more than 5,000 people. The disciples didn't have enough, but Jesus made it enough. And when the crowds saw this, they got worked up. Apparently, the healing and the casting out demons wasn't enough to do it for them, but you give them food, you feed them miraculously, and then they're ready to roll, man, like they are ready to take Jesus and forcefully make him king. And these calls from the crowd, this growing desire to see Jesus on the throne, this excitement begins to make its way from the crowd into the minds of Jesus' followers. The disciples are beginning to be swayed and and Jesus can't have that. It's not, it's not his time yet. So he grabs the disciples and he gets them into the boat. The Greek in Mark is pretty awesome. It translates directly to he makes them get in the boat. The disciples are getting amped, right? Like they're excited. This is what they've been waited for. They wanted Jesus on the throne. They wanted him in power. They wanted everyone to be sitting under the teaching of this fantastic man. They wanted the Romans out of their lives and out of their hair. And here it was starting to happen. And Jesus made them leave. You get the picture of Jesus grabbing them by the ear and dragging them to the boat and telling them to meet him in Bethsaida. And now Jesus is spent. His great friend has died. He tried to get away, but he was found out and followed. He has spent hours in the sun healing and teaching, and he has had to resist the crowds and even his close followers, the ones that should have known better, have gotten caught up in the excitement, and he's had to corral them as well and send them on their way, and now he just needs a break. He's exhausted. He is weary. And as we look at this other side of our Savior, the worn out, the frustrated, the tempted, the sorrowful, the tired Jesus, what does he do? Where does he go? How does he respond? We read in verse 46. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus deals with his weariness by spending time with the Father. When we're weary, when we're burned out, when we're exhausted, what do we do to take time to rest? What do we do to recharge our batteries? I will often turn to playing video games or watching a TV show or a movie. I'll, I'll read a fantasy book. 
I'll hit the gym and work out my more volatile emotions that way. But how often do I face the frustrations of the day, the struggles of the day, the weariness in my life with a time of devotions and prayer? Not as often as I should. It happens. This is something I do, but not as often as I should. It's not my go-to like it should be, like it was for Jesus. Is it your go-to? Do you deal with the struggles of your day, the hurts and pains of life, the burnout from work and relationships? Do you bring it to the Lord in a time of devotion and prayer as often as you should? Jesus models dealing with burnout in our text today. He models getting away. He encourages a time of rest. He leaves the crowds. He leaves his disciples. It's okay to get away. It's okay to take a break. Jesus did it. We're encouraged to do it. If you're working too hard and too much, then it's time to stop. It's time to breathe. Sometimes that means changing jobs. But I think more often it means learning how to deal with the burnout because as we've seen, we live in a culture of burnout. So sometimes changing jobs is healthy for us, but if we're using it as a coping mechanism to escape burnout, we're going to need to establish new boundaries and practices so that we can deal with burnout better, not just run from it. So it's time to put aside the passion that is driving you or the expectations that are stressing you or the fear of failure that is chasing you and take some time. Use the vacation days that you have. Use a personal day or a week. Take some time and bring the things that are making you weary to the Lord. It's okay to read a book. It's okay to watch a movie. It's okay to go on a walk or a run. It's great to take a vacation, but when you get to that space and when you have that alone time, that me time, do not leave God out of it. For you not truly be able to receive refreshment apart from him. God in our lives, Christ in our lives is what brings us peace. Does that mean that those who are struggling with burnout in the workforce or pastors who are burned out or thinking of leaving the ministry don't have good relationships with God? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. The world we live in is a broken place. There are many different types of stressors. And it is not my intent to paint with a brush that broad. That is not intended to be an indictment on people feeling burnout. Please do not hear. If you feel burned out, it's because you haven't done enough devotions or spent enough time in prayer. Burnout is coming for all of us. What I'm saying is that if the human side of our Savior felt tired and worn out, it would probably be a good idea to copy what he did when we feel tired and worn out. He's the example. We should just be following it because he knows better than we do. And while that is all true, it is also true that sin is still active in our world and our hearts today. Following God's direction for our lives, spending time in devotion and prayer, though healthy for us, though it is what Jesus modeled, these things will not stop us from being frustrated with the mission, from being frustrated with each other, or from experiencing burnout. I would think that's pretty clear in our text today as well. While Jesus is up on the mountain praying, the disciples are desperately trying to do what he has instructed them to do. Dudes are in a boat, paddling for all they're worth to get to Bethsaida. They would have preferred to use the sail, but but a storm has hit the lake. The winds will blow them the other direction or possibly capsize the boat. So they've pulled the oars out, and they're rowing for all they're worth, trying to head the direction that Jesus has told them to go. 
Can any of us relate to the disciples? This is what God has, has told us to do. We're just, we're just doing what we've been instructed. Why is this so hard? We just want to do what you've asked us to do, God. Does there have to be a storm that shows up in the middle of it? If this is what you want, can't it be easy? Can't you send a nice little breeze that will fill the sail and we can all just have a relaxing ride to the other side of the lake to where you told us you want us to go? Can't that be how this works? Why does there have to be a storm? The disciples left the shore as evening was approaching. So in the darkness of night, we have this boat pushing, straining forward in a storm and making no progress. One of the oldest translations of the Bible is the the Septuagint. It takes the Old Testament and it translates the Hebrew to Latin. In Latin, the word for boat is nave, N-A-V-E. And something I didn't know until this week is that the central part of the church sanctuary, the part that holds the pews, so the part that is from the foyer or the narthex, the back there, to the front, so just before the stage here, that part holds the part that holds the pews and the people, the part that holds the church was named the nave or boat in Latin. And so here we have a nave, a boat, the church, struggling in the winds of a storm in the darkness of the world. Unlike previous stories of disciples being stuck in storms, we don't see them being scared for their lives. Instead, they are frustrated. They are annoyed. We see them working hard to fight against the waves and the wind, but making no ground. They're angry with their circumstances and probably with each other. One of the commentaries I read expressed that it was likely you had Peter up in the helm encouraging or maybe just yelling at the others, row harder, work harder, right? Put your backs into it which I'm sure went over great with the rest of the crew. So frustration is growing in the ranks. They are worn out and tired, straining at the oars as hard as they can, trying to reach the destination that Christ has given them and ultimately unable to do so. Everything seems to be pushing them off course. Our text this morning tells us that from his place on the mountain, Jesus can see his disciples in the boat, his church in their naves, struggling in their mission, struggling in the instructions that they have been given. And at the fourth watch of the night, so like 3 a.m., he goes to them, and we have this interesting interaction in verse 48, where we read that Jesus came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. What? He saw them struggling, tired, exhausted, walks out on the water to them, but meant to pass by them? What's going on here? Like, I, I was struggling with how in the world I was going to explain that one. Uh, when my commentary po- pointed me to Job chapter 9, verses 8 to 11. Now, we may not all be super familiar with the book of Job. You don't all got that one memorized, do you? Yeah. But it's important to remember that these men would have grown up with a deep and intense instruction in the writings, or the old writings of their people, which means that they would be familiar with the book of Job. So when Mark writes that Jesus meant to pass by them, he's referencing this passage from this Old Testament book. Job chapter 8, 9, verses 8 to 11 where we read, Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the seas? Who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south? 
Who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number? Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. God is there, but we don't recognize how he is moving, how he is involved, how he is present. The disciples sure didn't. The church in their boat does see Jesus, but they do not perceive him. They, they think he's something totally different. The disciples in their boat see Jesus walking on the water, moving past them, and they think he's a ghost. They, they think he's a specter. They think he's a phantom, and they start calling out in fear. The text tells us that they are terrified, and I mean, I get it. It's 3 a.m., they're physically and emotionally worn out, and they see some dude walking on the water, and it's like, nah, what now? Like, for real? We can't take any more of this, man. Like, we can't deal with this anymore. What? What's going on? But Jesus sees their fear and says to them, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he gets into the boat with them, and the wind ceases, and they are astonished. There's great hope and promise for us in this story. Because just as we can relate to Jesus in his weariness and his need to spend some time in prayer to his Father, so also we can relate to the disciples in the boat, exhausted from the ministry, from following the directions that we have been given. We don't live perfect lives. We get blown off course. We struggle to do what God has asked us to do. And in our struggle, Christ has come to us. Born a human, he left the utopia of heaven to come and live in the brokenness of our world. Here he taught us. Here he loved us. Here he healed us and fed us. And here we betrayed him. Here we convicted him of the perfection we could never attain and we sentenced him to death because of it. And so up a hill with a cross on his shoulders walked the Son of God. And with those heavy wooden beams, Jesus also carried the sins of the world, your sin and my sin. Every time we've been blown off course, every time our strength, our resolve has failed, every time we've been weak, every time we've blown up, every time we've fought each other, every time we've taken rest without resting in God, every time we have fallen short, Jesus took all of it, all sin for all time. He took it upon himself there on the cross, and there on the cross he died for it, paying the price that we could not. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we rest in him, when we rest in the faith that he has given us, Jesus gets in our boat. Through faith in Christ, we are saved. Through faith, we live in the forgiveness of sins. Through faith, we are brought into the family of God. Through faith, the dirty rags of our sins are taken from us, and we are clothed with Christ's righteousness, so that when God looks on us, he does not see our sin, but the righteous purity of his Son. We do not earn any of this. It's all gift to us, gift that we received through faith. And church, someday the storms will cease. One day the broken world that we live in will pass away. And all will be made new. But until that day comes, there will be storms. There will be exhaustion. There will be weariness. There will be disagreements amongst brothers and sisters. We'll rock the boat that is the church as we struggle together in the mission that God has called us to. But let us not forget that Jesus didn't abandon his people to the storm. The one who stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea is with us. He is passing us by. He is moving 
alongside us. He has not left us. He knows us. He cares for us. And while he does not immediately calm the storms that we want him to, it does not mean that he has abandoned us. So let us continue to pull at the oars. Let us continue to brave the waves. And when we need a break, when the mission, when the day has pushed us to lengths that we aren't able to cope with anymore, let us rest. Let us take time. But, it may, not be time, but may it not be time away from God, but time getting deeper into our relationship with him, time of devotion and time of prayer. These are things we should be doing on the regular, but especially during times of need, times of exhaustion, times of burnout. Are you tired, church? Has the grind of life worn you down? And then you come to church and pastor stands in the pulpit, exegetes scripture, telling you that you are called into God's mission. Well, you are. Even though your weary souls might not want to hear it. Just know that you don't go into that mission alone. That there's a boat full of people pulling on oars besides you. We may not always agree on how we are to go about the mission, but together we struggle against the storm. And our God has not left us. He has not abandoned us. He is with us in the wind and the waves. Jesus has gotten into our boat. He promises us peace. He will bring the victory. But until that time comes, let us fight the burnout by taking Jesus' lead and carving out times of rest. In those times of rest, may we spend time with the Father, the one who loves us the one who has called us, the one who sent Jesus to die for us that we might be in relationship with him, the one who has called us to mission that more would know how much he cares about them, that more would join us in the boat. What a fantastic, gracious, merciful, and amazing God we serve. Amen.